Hello and welcome along to the Family and Friends podcast. My name is Maxi. I'm one of the producers here at Family Creative and this is our new weekly podcast. Each week we plan to introduce you to some of the guys that we work with quite regularly and some people that we haven't even worked with at all yet. Our guest this week is dancer and choreographer Rose Alice. Rose travelled to Switzerland at the age of 12 to begin uh, her training as a classical ballet dancer and then proceeded to travel the world being part of multiple productions all over the globe. We talk about the pressures of leaving at home at such a young age, in such a crucial age, financing your own productions and the risk that that carries. And as always, we finish with some advice for anyone thinking of beginning in the world of dance or choreography as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Family and Friends with dancer and choreographer Rose Alice. Rose, thank you for joining us on Family and Friends. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. I think the last time I saw you was after a shoot in Crouch End, and we went to the pub uh, and had a few <laughs> had a few drinks with our friend Harry. A few, a few too many drinks with our friend Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to blame him completely for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a fun day. Uh, that I mean, that was day. what two years ago? Yeah, yeah, I think it was actually, wasn't it? Two, two years ago, 2018, I think. Was so it? maybe three. Yeah, like two or three years ago. Wow. Um, what time is an anomaly at this point? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, mate. like, yeah, it's just all gone out the window, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, but what's been going on? Like, I mean, I mean we kind of keep in contact on on social media stuff, and I, I remember that that shoot we did at Crouch End Town Hall. I took loads of photos and I kind of put those out now and again because I've got quite a few in the archive uh, and it was an amazing day you know you and um, all, the, all the dancers that that, that came uh, and featured in the film it was such a cool day such a cool location um, amazing choreography so every time I sort of put one of those up like we'll have a little chat and say oh you know how are you doing and all this yeah. kind of stuff but uh, what's 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 been happening how, how are you? um yeah no I'm good I've been um I've been really busy actually which I know is a bit of a faux pas in the middle of a pandemic but um yes I've been working on a couple of film projects um for the past 12 months uh which is really cool um avoiding teaching on zoom as much as possible um but I do have to fold and teach once a week um online which is a bit soul destroying like that one hour of a week I do it literally one hour a week and I complain about it for the rest of the week. Like it's not, wow. it's not the one. Um, but yeah, no, I am actually not too bad, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you've been busy. Um, I think, yeah, quite a lot of people in the industry, um, I mean, you, you know, your industry as well as mine have been able to sort of carry on working, which is, I mean, slightly, slightly odd, but we're not complaining. Uh, absolutely not complaining <laughs> no um so that's been great um on family and friends we kind of go through the the motions of like your personal history you know when you first uh started uh, practicing in, in your field or studying in your field how you kind of built your career and we sort of go from there um just for the people listening would you mind explaining kind of what it is you do now um uh, and yeah, like who you are and, and, and uh, what, what it is you do now? Um, so, well, I guess I'll do like a bit of an in a nutshell. <laughs> it's a bit easier. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, so I am a, a contemporary ballet dancer and a choreographer. 
Um, I started dancing when I was about nine, um, but I was kind of fast tracked as a kid and I left home when I was 12, got shipped overseas um, and trained in France and Switzerland and worked and lived in New York for a while, then moved to China to work in, I was based in Hong Kong and working in China for a few years. And then I moved to London six years ago. Um, and yeah, so I've had quite an unconventional career as far as um, I guess like a ballet dancer goes um, because I didn't do the normal ballet school, ballet company um, route for very long. Um, but I've also had the, the absolute pleasure of, of working with hundreds and hundreds of incredible people from all over the world. Um, so now uh, based in London, I do a lot of choreography for stage and film. Um, and I also still dance in most of the things myself as well. Um, and yeah, I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> so, Amazing, mate, let's, yeah. so, a lot to cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, 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 so these, this early stage then, you start, started when you were nine and then went overseas when you were 12. What, what was your kind of first introduction to, to dance? How, what, what format did you first engage in? What was going on? So my mom was actually a single mom and it was cheap babysitting, if I'm perfectly honest. Like they had, um, they had a random dance class at my primary school um, that I could basically just stay at school for an extra few hours so she could work. Um, and from there, I think it was about a year later, the teacher approached my mom and was just like, look, I think she needs to be in an actual proper dance school because she, she has something. Um, and then I was a bit of an obsessive compulsive freak with it really. Um, but I kind of went from naught to a hundred in a really short amount of time. Um, I think I just, I fell in love with everything about it. I loved the militant training. Um, I loved the artistry, I loved the music. I loved everything about it. Um, and yeah, it very quickly became a bit of an obsession, um, which is something that I still battle with, I guess, <laughs> you know, even as an adult now. Um, and yeah, and then from there, it, you know, it, it wasn't my parents. My mom's like the most non-pushy mother on the planet, quite the opposite. Um, but I, I, I think I just had this urge to leave where I was and I had the opportunity to train elsewhere under scholarship and that type of thing and kind of just started running and didn't look back. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so, so where did yeah. you go when you were 12? Where were you studying? So I went to a, I was working with a uh, private coach in Toulouse in France. Wow. Um, and then after that, I did a big ballet competition called the Prix de Lausanne, which is held in Switzerland. And from there, I got a full scholarship to continue my training in Switzerland. So then I moved to Switzerland and kind of followed the scholarships around really. Um, but I never actually graduated from anywhere. I just started working um, when I was quite young. So I was about 16 when I did my first like professional show. Um, and then from there, it was just kind of, I just kept going. Um, yeah. What was it like um, sort of leave, leaving home then and, and sort of be, and traveling around so much and all this kind of thing? Like did dancing take up most, you might hear some bangs in the background, by the way, because the Royal Artillery <laughs> are, are doing uh, their maneuvers. Um, they're like it's like shaking her windows and doors and, um so was it was it quite tough moving around so much or were you just dancing all the time practicing all the time did, did time just fly by like what was it like time 
yeah really did fly and I I was honestly that kid like even before I left home when I was still just training at my you know normal dance school I I was that kid that was in the studio until someone dragged me out every night so it didn't I didn't really suffer homesickness or any of the like kind of I guess normal things that a person would um because I was just so focused on on my training and and doing what I was doing everything else kind of became a bit irrelevant um which is really important I think you know to be good at a craft but at the same time you know by the time I hit 17 18 I was so incredibly burnt out <laughs> I was just like did a full career before I was 18 years old um kind of thing and so yeah I didn't I didn't suffer the normal um I guess stresses of leaving home early uh it kind of came a bit later but it was self-inflicted exhaustion <laughs> um so yeah so then when I hit about 18 I had a year off and um I think I just needed to, I needed to rest my body. I needed to rest my mind. I needed to live a bit of a normal life for a little while um, because I hadn't done anything but dance for essentially all of my formative years. Um, but then after I'd had that break, I, when I went back to it, I had a completely different mindset. It was much uh, balanced is the wrong word because I'm still incredibly unbalanced, but, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but I had a, I had, I guess I brought a perspective on on life as a whole, so it made it made it more of a an, a part of my life instead of everything. Um, yeah. So. I mean, you know, the the things you probably got to do were you know amazing and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I'd hazard a guess you probably wouldn't change any of it. But at the same time, do you kind of look back and uh, not angry necessarily or with anyone or yourself or anything, but what are your thoughts on that kind of route that you took like do you think that's a bit too much for for someone of that age to maybe go out and take on yeah I think it was unnecessary you know and I had I had a I had an incredibly crazy teacher in Australia I was um, just gonna ask my, you as my well mom's, like... my mom's Australian so my mom's Australian oh, okay. and my dad's from Yorkshire <laughs> so I'm a bit of a much <laughs> really um, yeah <laughs> so um he so yeah my I think I had an incredibly uh, damaged, not great, traumatic teacher in Australia. And I think that my catalyst for, for desperately wanting to get out was actually her. And everything, the trajectory of life that I took at such a young age was a lot to do with this particular person. And in hindsight, I, I do get a bit angry because, I mean, I've not I don't get angry at her because I think no one does anything like that to children maliciously I think she didn't know any better but now being like I mean I coach um I coach uh, some incredible students right now who are between 15 and 18 and I just how I was treated you know isn't how you treat someone in those formative years and so I think that if I could if history was to repeat itself I would just not be involved with that particular person and then I think I would have stayed at home a little bit longer probably still left for sure and gone overseas and done all these things but I think I would have done it a little bit older and I would have done it with my family a bit closer instead of um, thinking that in order to be successful I had to have no ties with family and it meant that I was unfocused if I you know all of those things that in hindsight it's just unnecessary it's it's really really unnecessary um but in that being said, you know, I, I truly believe like I've lived more 
than most people do in their entire lifetime, um, even at my age now. And I think that that enhances how I am as an artist and what I am as an artist now, because I have so much to draw from, good, bad and ugly, you know? So yeah, I don't regret anything, but I do think that the way that my you know formative years as an early teen slash late teenager were was unnecessary I didn't need mm-hmm. to go through all that trauma I didn't need to go through all of that stress I didn't have to it just didn't need to happen you know in order for me to be a professional artist of any of any kind um but again wouldn't change it because I'm a bit of an alien now and I don't think I would be if <laughs> if I hadn't have gone through all of that so yeah is it sort of quite a common theme within ballet that you do get quite a lot of eccentric teachers maybe they're, they're quite sort of big personalities and like I mean you just said that you, your teacher maybe didn't even know that they were doing these things that that were kind of affecting you and they clearly didn't spot you know maybe something that was causing you stress and then they're just so focused on making you into the best answer possible I mean it's do, do you hear about people like that quite a lot or yeah there are I mean, I guess it's the same in in things like gymnastics and stuff as well. I think that the the teachers and the coaches that are, you know, basically put in charge of of young adolescents, a lot, not all of them, but there are uh, quite a few that I think for whatever reason, don't have, just don't have the right approach to help help a young person grow like as a human being, they're so focused on on the physicality or that they're focused on the actual craft that they forget that there's a human being in there. And that can be really dangerous, you know, especially if you've got a kid that's, you know, talented enough and, and dedicated enough to leave home before they're 13, they're going to be so impressionable. And that teacher becomes like a mother or, or a father figure because everything that they say you 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 want to do, you know, and so if they're saying things that are quite detrimental or, or quite toxic, you don't know until you're older and you're like, oh my God, that was completely mental. <laughs> um, but it is still really common now. And I think that the it's kind of the generation of, I guess people who are in the you know 50 to 70 age group now, I think that particular kind of era of teachers in Bali in particular were the worst. So now there's so much more information with social media and the internet and everything like that people can't get away with treating kids like that as much because there's too everything's documented whereas you know when I was you know 12 that there was no way you know people didn't know there wasn't cameras in the room there wasn't you know (laughs) it wasn't easy if you were overseas to just call your mom you know it was like nothing was that simple um so yeah, I think times are changing for the positive for sure. And I think that the internet and just the accessibility of everything is actually helping helping with that. Because people can't get away with things as much. Yeah. On the sort of flip side of um, someone who may be too forceful, was there anyone when you were sort of learning your craft and coming up um, that was an incredible role model for you and you just looked up to massively and, and helped you if you ever sort of, you know, came to maybe crisis points, trying to deal with all this crazy, crazy shit going on, like? Mm, no, and I think that's the, that was the thing that I struggled with, you know, now, I think, I guess what I do for kind of, you know, 15 to 20 year olds now is I mentor them and I am like a big sister and, you know, I'm there for them 
for anything and I didn't have that and I didn't have that because my teachers were either really old and just a teacher that sat in front of the room like yelled at you and you know <laughs> get you to think oh it was the crazy woman in Australia who I wanted nothing to do with so it was kind of I tried to I, I had to really navigate everything myself and that in itself was was I think probably the hardest thing like trying to figure out who you are as a human being whilst also training whilst also not having someone to lean on that's not your, your family um yeah it, it, it that was a really difficult difficult thing to deal with and I that's why I truly believe that having a mentor you know in in any craft you know, in those formative years is is really really important but I think that mentor needs to be someone that has no ulterior motive and is literally just there as a sounding board you know they might be a teacher they might be a friend but they need to be someone that's already gone through what you're going through in some capacity um because yeah and I always say to the girls like I I just tried to be who I needed when I was their age for them. And that I think is a really, really important part of me giving back as well. So, yeah. So no is the answer to your question. No, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have someone. I, I but, but I wish that I had. Yeah. Well, it is, it's amazing to hear now that you are that person for people. Like mm. it's, uh, it's, it's a, a tough sort of circle um and journey but you know you can now you know exactly firsthand what what people might need at certain times and and you can spot things in people uh whether it's you know stresses or or just things outside of of dancing or and you know all that kind of stuff um mm -hmm. which sounds fantastic um talk to me about your first professional show then what what was that how did it come about um where was it how did you feel what was happening uh so i was in um switzerland at the time in basel at the basel theater ballet and um there was a there was a company show and i remember the director came up to me and and he was like oh i think i think i'd like you to perform tonight and i was like oh okay so that's was, all the notice at, you had literally on the day yeah I think I'd I think he'd, I'd like you to perform tonight and I was like okay and honestly that's kind of all I remember I couldn't tell you what I did don't know um I just remember being like okay and and then I remember but I do remember afterwards going so back then in the theatres in Switzerland in particular the theatre is actually um underground so you yeah so like the theater's underground and then the studios and everything are even further underground and there was like this little green room area that had like a but it was like a little box and after the show all of the company members who were like in their 20s to 30s 40s whatever they all went in there for a cigarette and they were like oh you coming and I was like okay so I went in and I had shared a cigarette with them all and I remember just thinking to myself like what what just happened and what <laughs> what what um yeah so that was kind of it but I think I do you, I had you, already you don't remember it because it was like there was so much adrenaline pumping through yeah it was it yeah. was honestly just an absolute blur like I couldn't tell you if it was good bad or ugly and I I just know that I was on the stage and then I was off the stage and I remember sitting in this room with a bunch of people having a cigarette being like oh okay <laughs> that just happened <laughs> I mean, what do you where do you go from there like the next day you know you wake up as a 
a, a, an official professional dancer mm-hmm. did it change your attitude uh how did it affect your confidence like what what happened it actually very quickly made me realize that I didn't want to do strictly classical ballet which I know is a, is a strange thing but I think I had trained as a ballerina and like the the what people expected from me as far as you know what you do when you're training to be a ballerina is you join a ballet company and you perform ballets with ballet companies that's what you do that's your life and it was probably only a few weeks after that that I I realized that actually I was kind of bored doing that I didn't really want to wear a tutu and I didn't really want to do Swan Lake and I didn't want to do all of these things that I had been told my whole life that was the end goal um it was almost like once I got a taste of what it was like and I saw the lives of actually of all these people that were in the company and stuff that I realized that I didn't really want to do that um so not long after that then I I left Switzerland and I went to New York for a while and started freelancing a little bit and kind of just finding my groove I guess as an artist instead of just doing ballet and fell in love with choreography and creating things and yeah what what was your time in New York I mean how how different was that to uh, just before you actually why why are the theatres underground in Switzerland or was it just Um, that one not all of them it was just that one I have no idea actually but I remember when I first arrived getting there and and they were like oh yeah the studios are on floor seven and I was like okay and I pressed seven and I realized they were going down and it like it's all the way on the ground (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very strange that's crazy um yeah uh what was it uh New York yeah honestly like I was still keep in mind I was still very young at this point I was not even 18 um and so I I had quite a I had quite a turbulent time when I first went there just because not being 18 and being by yourself in America back then because <laughs> I'm old um, was actually quite a difficult difficult thing like as simple as you know I had a hotel booked for when I first arrived but because I wasn't 18 they wouldn't let me check in and wow. you know so I spent 48 hours literally awake like not able to sleep anywhere before some woman and came up to me in a 24-hour Starbucks and was like are you okay you look exhausted and I have my suitcase and I was like nowhere will let me check in like I have nowhere to sleep you know so there was loads of things like that that I think just didn't need to happen if if things had been you know slightly different but that being said you know I, I met one of my best friends of all time in in a hostel there at three o'clock in the morning one night and you know those types of things so as as a whole with life um I again I wouldn't change it but New York uh, the industry back then was very different and I I was still very of the mind that I didn't know what freelancing was I didn't know that I didn't know anything really in hindsight I knew nothing yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to figure it all out um but it wasn't until I stopped for a year and I actually went back to Australia for that year that I really kind of just rested and like found myself a bit. And so when I went back a few years later, I was like, oh, right, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, so, what, so yeah. what kind of things did you learn? What kind of, uh, how did you expand, you know, like, like uh, your, your craft in, in New York? Like what, what were the kind of things you were getting involved with and what did you learn? So, it was a lot of just taking classes to be honest it was still because I guess I was still a kind of in the training 
age and it was a lot of taking classes and in genres and with teachers that I had never experienced before and also having warmth of teachers which I had never experienced you know my teachers in in Switzerland um, were American um, but they were very like old school American like yell at you with a stick kind of vibe whereas when I when I started experiencing like the open class situation you know I was in class with professional dancers that I looked up to for years who you know had 20 years on me and that in itself was really inspiring and kind of just figured out that I didn't have to just I didn't have to be somewhere that I was miserable in order to dance and I think that was the biggest thing that I kind of learned in my time there because that's not what was told to me when I was younger you know like that 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 isn't just a one avenue to be a professional artist there's about 478 of them but in a in a school or an institution they only tell you about the one um so I had to navigate that all myself a little bit which again unnecessary but glad I did it <laughs> um up next is our sort of biggest opportunity section um was that would you say that happened while you were in New York or was that another time a bit further down the line or what, what would you say? No, I think that was a bit further down the line and it actually wasn't a, so I did, um, I did say Think You Can Dance, the TV show in Australia. Um, and after that, I got offered a, I basically got offered a role in a theatre show in Singapore. And the theatre show was, I mean, it was lots of fun. It was, you know, it was all these things. And it wasn't actually about the show. This particular show got me to Asia. And I went for a four-month contract and I didn't leave for years. <laughs> you know, wow. so like that, so that for me was like an incredible, I think it was my biggest opportunity because it opened, it opened the door to an entirely new group of people who I ended up working with who are, who are still to this day, like family. Um, you know, I, I moved to Hong Kong officially, you know, a few months later and was working literally all over China, back and forth to Europe. And that in itself just, again, it just opened up the doors to, again, another side of the industry that I didn't know existed. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of, I mean, I know he's, <laughs> he's not like the greatest person in the news and whatever, but, you know, I, I got to perform with Kevin Spacey. I got to do, like, I got to do some really amazing things. Um, performed in a fountain in China like <laughs> like there's so many things that I would never have experienced um, and people that I love dearly that I would never have met or worked with if I hadn't have got that phone call about that one little theater show in Singapore you know yeah. so yeah amazing so China gets a bit of bad press in western media for sure mm -hmm. um, about you know different things that go on what's what was your experience of working in the economy, living in the country? Did you travel other places other than Hong Kong? Because up, you know, up until recently, it was still uh, a similar uh, democratic system to you know what we have here in Britain. Um, was it a home away from home, or was it completely different? What was what's what's your experience when when people ask you about how you feel about China and that part of the world? So I think uh, China from the outside gets a really bad rap and it, yes, it does have a lot of flaws. There's, there's all of the flaws. Yes. But I think when you are, what doesn't get spoken about is 
the incredible way that and not Hong Kong Hong Kong is just an incredible city it's an amazing place to live um but mainland China and yeah we used to travel a lot so we would often like rehearse in Hong Kong and then go to China for shows so we would go to Beijing or Shanghai um there's there's a an element of and I feel like Western culture doesn't have this. If you have, if you're in mainland China, if you have an idea and you want to make something happen, you have, you almost have like the resources and the people who are just like, yeah, do it. We'll help you, blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't happen, I think, anywhere else in the world. And yes, it's easier for a Westerner because they love white people. They love, we are like, you know, we, we, we get given so much more time and we get paid more and all of these things than the mainland Chinese do when it comes to performance but when it comes to actually building something like I have a few friends who went over there just to like dance in nightclubs and make a bit of money and then you know leave who ended up staying there for years and building you know film studios where they're now running acting courses for people and all those types of things and China can be a really difficult place, but I think it's a bit like New York or London or LA. It can either eat you up and spit you out, but if you have a really open mindset and you're willing to embrace the culture and in a certain way, it can actually give you so much, like so much. There's a reason that, you know, a lot of expats go there for a contract for, you know, six months and end up living there the rest of their lives because there is, there's more money, there's more opportunity, there's there's a lot of good things as well as all of the bad things. Um, I left Hong Kong just before China took it over again. Um, so well, a bit before China took, took over again. So I think Hong Kong has changed a bit now, which is quite sad because it was so open and liberal and in just such an expat culture, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very, very different, different feel in every way possible to mainland China. Um, and now I know a lot of my Hong Kong Chinese friends are trying to leave because they feel like they're in China. And, you know, so that on a political level, it's it's not great. But as a creative, um, I you, you can't really fault it. Yeah. It's a tough place to be for more than a few weeks or a few months at a time without a bit of a break, because, you know, the pollution is a lot. The, you know, it's there's a lot of people <laughs> like there's lots of things like that that you know, it's hard to be there for a long period of time without a little break, but that's the same as any major city, I think. Amazing. Well, obviously in comparison to... Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> yeah. No, the best absolutely. way to de yeah. describe well, it, yeah. Well, this is it. Like, it's, it's interesting talking to you um, because I never like to speak ill of anywhere or, or, or think ill of anywhere that I've not personally been myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I always like to 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 speak to people who have been to places and hear their thoughts on it so it's fantastic to hear that level of support for the for the arts and and, and sort of creative outlets and stuff how how long were you there for and, and how did you maybe utilize that that kind of support that 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 was available there I guess for me I was I was not really in the mind space of my mind frame of of trying to build anything from scratch there myself um, but I had the opportunity of performing in, I was, I was very much in performance mode and I was doing, you know, a show a week, various shows all over the place. And I just, I witnessed the support and everything that people were getting, um, or even just clients, like, you know, one of the biggest, um, events companies in China is called China Kingway. 
and Mr. Bao. <laughs> Mr. Bao's a crazy old man. Um, <laughs> but but Mr. Bao is, but also like you need something like that man will be there, you know, and it's it's things like after the fact, you know, speaking with, and I still go out there and perform for them quite often prior to coronavirus. Um, you know, I, I travel and perform for these particular clients, you know, at least once or twice a year. Um, you know, when I was putting on my first production here, like they were, and I was just having a conversation about it. They were like, what support, what do you need? You know, and it's stuff like that. So I think if you do well, uh, so if you do do right by them, you know, on stage and off, it never gets forgotten. So you've always got that, you've always got that support there, you know? And I also know that, you know, I had a really tough year in 2019 and, you know, the first thing that, you know, some of my clients were like, well, do you want to, do you want to come out to Asia? you know, come out to Asia, just work here, make some money. Like that was the first kind of thing, you know, doesn't matter that I'd not been there, lived there for two years. They were like, all right, we'll get you a place to stay. It's fine. Like, you know, what do you need? And those types of things. And I'm like, okay, that, and that doesn't happen. That that doesn't happen um, everywhere. I think that it's a very, very much an Asian culture thing to want to support the people that do right by them in, in any capacity, you know? Oh, that's lovely. Um, mm. Do does dance and travel kind of go hand in hand? Is it almost a universal language that is a, a and also like a kind of global currency almost? Like it seems you've been so many places and had such an amazing time and and being able to just jump in and start working immediately. I mean, I'm struggling to think of any other industry that you 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 might be able to do that in. Um, you know, so so sort of frequently and and on such a short notice i mean how much how much of a is that a common thing you know with with your industry um would you say uh yeah it's very last minute.com i think <laughs> like, <laughs> like across the board um i think it depends on the part of the industry that you're in i think if you are in musical theater or you're strictly a ballet dancer then no because you very much rely on being in a show in a theater so unless that particular show does a tour with everyone, um, you don't often get that. But I think just the nature of how my strange unconventional life has kind of led me. I have clients and people that I've worked with literally all over the world that I have that option. And I, and I do know maybe three or four other people who two of them are based in New York, one's based in LA, who are very similar to me in the sense that we literally work all over the world and we never quite know where we're going to be um so yeah I think if you are a freelancer and you're quite unique in what you can offer then yes like and I don't mean that in like being better than anyone I mean like style wise I think you know not many people do the style that I do um so if someone wants something that's kind of ballet but also kind of a bit like dark and edgy like I'm their go-to so therefore I can do that you know um yeah, so I think yes and no. It very much depends on depends on the artist. Nice. Okay. Mm. Next up, we've got our biggest clanger section. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> what's what's been like the just when when is this like a show gone wrong or something gone wrong? Like you know, when when is when have things kind of gone out of your control or? Uh, does anything kind of immediately jump to mind any any individual shows or jobs or what oh yeah um 
so in 2019, I was putting on my second production with my company in London. And we basically like lost all funding and everything a week before we opened a month into rehearsals. And I had the, I had the choice of either canceling and I had 50, keep on, I had 15 people in the cast for this. I had three musicians, no, 18. I had three musicians and I had 15 dancers. Um, I basically had the task of either canceling it all and having people have just worked for a month for nothing. And people had bought tickets to this show, like just on a, on a, on a, on a level that I can't even quite get my head around right now. Um, the, the worst thing on the planet seemed to be to cancel and it seemed like a PR nightmare and all of these things. Um, or I had to find, you know, an extortion amount of money in a week. Um, so I did the latter and I had to literally beg, borrow from anyone and everyone I could possibly find. How much money are we and talking? Like 30K. Ooh. No, no, um, not, not a small amount <laughs> it's not a small amount um in a week and as well. so that's pretty crazy in a week so and i i don't know how i did it but i did it um and so the show went on but by the you know it was just one i feel like it was just destined to fail but the show itself was great the actual physical performance was wonderful and you know i think it was the the the, the third night was just insane. We did three shows and um, I had to, so I absorbed that. I absorbed that debt in order to make sure that everyone was paid in full um, for their time and that the venue was paid and everything was kind of covered. Um, it maybe took a bit longer than I would have normally liked to get everyone their wages and all that kind of stuff, but it was all done and I did right by everyone. So. Um, in order to do that though I had to basically I lost I had to sleep on my friend's couch I had to like I literally lost everything and had multiple breakdowns and all of those fun things that kind of go along with it Um, but also coming out of that um, I really learned who who within my team was in it for the right reasons and who wasn't and who was really an artist at heart and who was you know part of this building this 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 team of artists and who was literally just in it for a paycheck and was using me for a paycheck over the past few years and that I would never have really learned if I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through um you know I met one of my best friends throughout this period of time who had a dance studio who who gave me free space to rehearse there for a month um and then he and I ended up becoming really close and he honestly like held me up through that whole period. And then as I was starting to like get myself back a little bit, he had his business stolen from him. He had the studio stolen from him oh. by a really, by a really nasty investor. So it 2019 was just like the worst. It was like <laughs> the worst year I can ever, I, I, I still right now I cannot quite believe that I'm still standing because it got so bad and the things that I had to absorb in order to make sure I did right by everyone I wouldn't change because it's just money you know we can't take it to the grave I'll make more um but I will not work with a a substantial amount of people um anymore and that's fine like there's no animosity or anything like that I'm just like okay if I'm going to build something from scratch I need people that are in it for the right reasons and that are by my side when things 
are bad as well as when they're good, not just when they're good. And they had been good for about five years and people have made a lot of money off me and traveled the world and done all these things. So um, yeah, I guess it very much, it, it broke me. It completely broke me. But in rebuilding out of that over the past 12 months and actually weirdly going into a pandemic where everything kind of calmed down industry-wise while I was trying to heal was actually a really good thing because I had a chance to step away from it and really figure out whether or not I wanted to keep the business figure or not you know all of those things I had the time to do so um so yeah but it was it was awful (laughs) it was really awful it sounds pretty tough I mean one thing I've noticed is when you've come to these kind of crisis points there have there has your, your answer has been to take a step back and just take stock and slow things down. How mm. important is it to do that? And is it better to maybe try and do that before a, a certain crisis point, you know, for people? Like if you could maybe go back, would you try and do that earlier? Or is it a case of it won't be on your radar until it becomes a massive issue and you are forced to take a step back. Like, what what are your thoughts on that? I think for me personally, it's been things that I couldn't have seen coming. That's, that's been, that's been, I think the most difficult, difficult part about having to work through the things that I've had to go through. When I was younger, you know, that was kind of circumstantial, but now it's like the things that I've had to go through that have been quite turbulent in the past few years they're honestly things that have just come out of nowhere that I couldn't have seen coming but I can say that I I think by nature I'm very much when I'm quite open and I'm quite giving and I will give my time and I'll try and give people work and I'll do all of these things what I have learned and that I very much stopped doing is that I need to stop doing that because not everyone not everyone has the same relationship to the art form as I do but because for me it's like it's how I breathe it's part of it's part of who I am when people are you know desperate for work and all these things I assume that it's because they feel about it how I do but I have learned now that that is not the case people actually just see me as an easy way for a paycheck which is a really difficult thing to to swallow because I think with with dancers in particular I mean I guess it's the same for anything creative we're not just we're not just colleagues. We all become really good friends, um, and dancers in particular because we have physical contact. Sometimes we can go from not knowing someone at all to within an hour having physical contact, and you know that you you have a different kind of bond with people because of that. Um, so learning that even though these people might be your friends, they are in fact in it for a job is not a bad thing. It's just something that. I'm not willing to take on anymore. So I've very much got some nice little healthy boundaries up when it comes to <laughs> people approaching me now um, because yeah, it, it's too draining. I can't, you, I, I'm happy to give, but when I'm getting nothing back and my cup is empty, then I'm no good to anyone. So I think I've learned a lot with people, but when it comes to preempting things, some I think sometimes you just don't see them coming you can only prepare for so much before you're like oh no yeah that um yeah yeah okay fair enough yeah I mean yeah it's yeah I mean yeah in in your experience I would yeah it just kind of comes out of the blue 
Um, well, I'm glad you sort of got through all of that stuff. It sounds uh, pretty tough. Um, and it's, it's nice to hear that this kind of pandemic and this current situation has actually given you the time to just to have a break, you know, um, mm. and just as an excuse to just not do anything for a little while or, or only really do the things that you want to do. Or it's just, I think for some people, it's kind of taken some pressure off maybe. Um, and I'm glad. It just gave me the time to really think about the direction I wanted to go in without being around people all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm in a studio with a bunch of people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Even if you're trying to figure out what's next, it's kind of hard to do when you're constantly influenced by people around you, you know? But yeah, mm. having that time to just think was, was crucial actually. Nice. So let's talk about what you've been up to for maybe the last year or so. Um, I mean, in terms of what you, what you do now and what your output is, uh, maybe let's talk about, you know, International Arts Collective, um, some of the mentoring you were talking about earlier and the, and the kind of coaching and stuff. What, what's, what kind of makes up your, your day-to-day now? Um, so I've been doing, so I've been working on um, a fashion campaign for an Australian designer for a year. Um, and so that's in a series of films uh, that has been created, choreographed and produced by myself and her team. But she's based in Australia. We've got a VR, a VR guy who's based in Latvia, composer, like everyone's kind of all over the world. So it's been a really collaborative project. Um, so that's been keeping me very, very busy. Um, I've also got a couple of um, film projects with International Arts Collective, just with two, two of my dancers, um, who are actually my mentees um, as well. Um, when the students become the masters, they're so incredible. And <laughs> so like, they're just absolutely remarkable. Um, so I've been working on that as well. But yeah, I've honestly been rehearsing. I'm pretty much in the studio six days a week. Um, either training myself or rehearsing for upcoming projects. Um, I've got a performance coming up, which will actually be on Sky Arts for the London Climate Change Festival, oh, um, which will be in, be in April, um, which is going to be at the Coliseum in the West End. So working on that as well. Um, but as far as the company goes, I'm very much trying to keep everything um, really, really small crew. So if people are requesting dances for things, like any more than three plus me is not gonna happen um, for now because I wanna keep everything really refined and I wanna keep the quality of work there instead of just giving a bunch of people work. Um, but yeah, personally, I've been working on um, a couple of really cool things. And just before lockdown, actually, I was in New York um, and I just, been cast in a really big role for a project that I can't talk about yet but as soon as restrictions are lifted and I can get back to New York I'm going to be going into production of that um so I'll be out of London for a little while and yeah so busy busy times but with really cool projects so it's nice not to be just doing a bunch of bread and butter jobs for the sake of of money um and to be working with some really wonderful people is is key so Yeah. yeah Obviously, uh, I've I've worked with you on the job um, with with Harry, uh, mm-hmm. which was a nice sort of dance music piece. Um, like, uh, I mean, the, the actual music he used, uh, you know, in the end was um, sort of very Hard dramatic. Dance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was a very sort of dramatic form of of dance. 
what's what's your like ideal job to choreograph what are the different types of choreograph you do chore choreography you do um and what would be like your sort of what would be like your your dream thing to choreograph would you say um so i guess with choreography there's like multiple ways to do it is the first thing to say like i am very much driven by music and actually that thing that we did with harry is probably one of the only things where the music has been secondary that i've done um for me choreographing and composing with musicians in the studio is my favorite thing to do so i have uh, three friends of mine uh, a drummer and two pianists and we work together really often um and we basically it's hard to explain but i'll improvise and they improvise and then we find little moments that kind of work and we hold on to that then we move on to a different vibe and we end up kind of piecing together this thing so it's composing choreographed at the same time um so that is my most favorite thing to do in the whole wide world and i would happily never perform again if i could just do that every day um <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not a fan of performing actually and i've never i've never been a fan of performing i get incredibly nervous on stage and i don't actually enjoy it i prefer the um the creative process so for me it's all about the collaborative nature of working with live musicians like that for me is is it um but the but i also really like choreographing for film is really interesting because it can be a little bit more open um and you can almost cheat things a little bit so on stage you you can't really hide anything because everyone sees everything whereas with film uh the more i'm doing it as well i'm really enjoying the fact that you can really just show what you want to show. You can get out the transitions. You can you can get rid of the the parts that get you into the impressive stuff. Um, so your narrative can actually be a lot more impressive than having to tell a full story on stage that everyone can see everything. Um, so yeah, definitely just being in a studio with musicians is <laughs> where I'd be for the rest of my life if I could. But as they say to me, if I don't perform, I don't get paid. So I have to do the performance side of things. Um, but yeah, I think anything that's collaborative um, for me is is where I get the most inspiration. Amazing. Um, lastly, what would your advice be to, um, I mean, maybe we could ask the question sort of in two formats. What would you say to your 12 year old self? And what would you say to someone who is maybe a bit older, maybe 18 or early 20s, maybe wanting to make a start in, in choreography. So if you want to answer maybe both of those. So to my 12 year old self, I would say you're allowed to have a voice without being disrespectful. Like you, if you're uncomfortable with something, you're allowed to speak up. It's not a sign of disrespect to have a voice. Um, and I think being silenced uh, as a, as a child in a ballet school, silence is the wrong word, but you know, we're, we're so militant in our training that you know, you kind of, you don't really speak up if you're uncomfortable about things or something doesn't feel right. Um, so yeah, use your voice, you have it for a reason. Um, and to an older self, I think, which were 18 to 20-ish, I guess, I guess one of the key things is that you don't have to you don't have to conform to what you've been told is right and 
I mean that in the sense that, like I said earlier, that there are, if, if you know that you love a particular craft and you've trained at that particular craft, but you don't think that you fit in the categories that have been shown to you, keep researching until you find your one, or if you don't find one, create it. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a, a robot. You don't have to be the same as everyone to be successful in this industry. You know, sometimes if you don't fit in a box it's because we need a new box, create it. Um, it's okay to take risks. Actually, I encourage you to take risks and the biggest risk taker on the planet. Sometimes they'll pay off, sometimes they won't, but it, it, it's worse not to just try. So I think, yeah, be a risk taker, but you also don't have to conform is, yeah, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rose. Amazing. Um, what's what are you up to for the next uh, for the like for the rest of your day? What's going on? I'm actually going to go through a bunch of footage from the session, uh, the last shot that we the last shoot that we did for this fashion campaign with the videographer, mm -hmm. um, which is going to take many many hours. So <laughs> the rest of my day is going to be sitting just saying cut that cut that cut that <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be very necessary but very very boring day <laughs> okay all right well we can do necessary and boring yeah. <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for joining us it's been so yeah, like so interesting to to like have a proper chat with you um i'm sure there's plenty more we could speak about so maybe when pubs are open again we can uh go and Yay! Yeah, yeah yeah i think i think really <laughs> yeah more chats and, and pub talks is, is definitely good. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave you to get on with your work. But um, yeah, I'll hopefully see you soon. Nice one. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Cheers. That is all we have time for this week on the podcast, guys. But please subscribe to ensure you catch all of our future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at family and friends. That's F-M-L-Y and friends, all one word, for news on our new community hub. And please also check out our main page at family creative. That's on Instagram or our main website, family-creative.com. We'll catch you next time.